Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm. Uh, it's good to be back after a few weeks away. You may have noticed Rich and I haven't been around. We were on holiday visiting some family, so it's just lovely to be back. We really missed everybody. Um, And it's great to be speaking on the book of Ruth as well. We're starting off that series today. Uh, She's one of only two women in the Bible that have a book uh, devoted uh, to her. Um, So the other one is Esther. So it's a real privilege to be able to speak about um, a Christian role model um, who's female. I think there's a unique perspective that we can all uh, learn from. So I think God's going to do some really lovely stuff and some great stuff uh, through this series. Um, Ruth is quite a short book. It's only got four chapters. Um, Essentially, the main themes are on how God works through people, uh, through the kindness of people, and how God can use us to uh, bring about his plans. He uses Ruth, he uses Boaz uh, to bring about his plan. And and Ruth shows incredible uh, loyalty, compassion to her mother-in-law, Naomi, um, staying with her through tough times. And we'll see that Boaz is kind, he's compassionate, he's honorable. Um, And he becomes Ruth's kinsman redeemer, which uh, basically means he becomes responsible for her protection and safety. Um, And ultimately, this uh, book and this story, it it whispers the the glory of the gospel that is to come, God's heart for inclusion. Um, And it's significant that Ruth is a Moabite. Uh, She's not an Israelite, um, as we'll read. Uh, She gets adopted into a new family. And, uh, you know, being an outsider, God brings her from a position of being an outsider And, you know, towards the end of the book, we'll see that she actually becomes uh, the great-grandmother of King David, which is the lineage of Jesus. So God does a wonderful work in her life, and it's a story of redemption, and Boaz is a foreshadowing, really, of of Jesus' redemption um, for us and and his work on the cross. Uh, So in today's message, we'll be looking at chapter one, and we see Ruth at a very low point in her life. She's lost her husband. Uh, She steps into an unknown future with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we see her journey from Moab uh, to Bethlehem, which is uh, where the future birthplace of Jesus is. And um, we really see Ruth's strength and loyalty and kindness. It's just evident in everything she says and does. Uh, So let's read uh, chapter one together, and then we'll get started. Okay, so Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian, and they were Ephrathites, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Both Marlon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her sons, her two sons, and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people 
and giving them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Let's jump down to verse 13. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you, nor or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And, the, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? For the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay. So as we ponder on these verses today, I want us to think about three questions. Uh, Firstly, what do we do when life gets tough? What's our decision-making processes? What are our actions? Who are we when life gets tough? What's our character like? What are our thought patterns? And where do we go when life gets tough? Where do we find our comfort and our peace? And it's clear to say in verse 1, we see life was tough in Bethlehem, wasn't it? It says there was a famine. I think probably most of us have not known what it feels like to face a famine. Some of us may have known hunger, but famine is extreme, isn't it? Elimelech, probably he would have been fearful for his family, thinking about his young sons, his young wife, and wondering if he was going to survive. So for the survival of his family, he's moved, hasn't he? He's gone to a foreign land, which on the face of it probably looks like wisdom, except Moab traditionally was one of Israel's enemies. They were known for serving for foreign gods, and God had called the Israelites to be separate, to be a unified light to the nations. So, to be honest, it looks like Elimelech's decision was actually the opposite of what God wanted for for him. The passage doesn't say what his process was of making that decision. It doesn't say whether he prayed or whether he heard from God. But, you know, facing famine, it would have been a very practical decision, wouldn't it, to, to move. There's a lot we don't know, but what we can say is that Elimelech probably wanted his family to survive. 
And even if it meant a temporary move to Moab, what we're seeing here is that he actually settled there. His sons married Moabite women. And essentially, they'd probably assimilated into the Moabite culture, which again is not something God would want the Israelites to do. So there's a lot we don't know in this passage, but we do know um, that Bethlehem was a part of Judah, it was a part of the Promised Land. God had taken the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery, into this land of freedom. This was their land of freedom and promise. And God specifically promised to the Israelites that he would never leave them um, empty. He would always have plenty in the land for them if they were obedient. So we could summarize really here that perhaps the Israelites weren't in a place of being obedient to God. And against this backdrop, perhaps Elimelech taking matters into his own hands, perhaps out of fear for the survival of his line, Elimelech goes to Moab, doesn't he? Moab. And he settles there. And if we look on the map, I think I've got a map in the next slide. You know, it would have been a really long journey. Um, you know, he would have had to cross the Dead Sea. He would have had to go across another country. It may have taken over a week to get there with his family. So this is an intentional decision to move away from the Promised Land. And if we look at biblical principles, yes, it's really good to plan. Yes, it's good to look after your family. Um, in Proverbs 27, it says, The prudent see danger, and they hide, and the simple go on and suffer for it. In Timothy, it says, There's a call on fathers to manage their households well. So I'm, so, I'm sure Elimelech had the best intentions here. But first and foremost, is also a principle to pray and be obedient to God. So when life gets tough, what do we do? Do we pray? Do we wait on God for the answer? It doesn't say that he did that here. But we do know as Christians we pray, we should pray and commit our way to God and wait for his answer. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, God says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Similar sentiments are repeated elsewhere in the Bible. If you look at Proverbs 27, Isaiah 28, God is a wonderful counselor when we go to him. And there's a need for us to continually uh, seek God, ask God for wisdom, ask God for answers. And particularly when we're faced with pressures and difficulties, because it's in those moments that we uh, are prone to, to panic and fear, isn't it? Instead of um, acting in faith and peace. So Elimelech, despite good intentions, was probably acting out of fear. So now in verse 5 we see, Naomi is bereft, she's lost her husbands, she's lost her sons, and she tells her daughters-in-law to leave her. Again, that's probably a wise thing to ask, because as widows, these three widows now, they would have been very, very vulnerable. And they needed the protection of their family, particularly fathers and husbands in that culture. And uh, sadly, things like sexual assault um, and poverty would have been a very real outcome for these ladies. So life has just gotten very hard for these three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. So let's have a look at character. Who are we when life gets tough? So Naomi, understandably, is in grief. She's disappointed. Her daughters-in-law, they want to stay with her, but she rejects their help in this moment, doesn't she? And in her deepest time of need, she's rejected help to the point where Orpah actually decides to go back to Moab. 
and return to her gods and her people. Perhaps Naomi, knowing what it's like to be a foreigner, she's been a foreigner for some time now, she knows it would be hard for them. She doesn't want to put them through that. But just thinking about how Naomi has rejected uh, the help of her daughters-in-law, in our moment of need, what do we do when people offer help and support and try and reach out? It seems a strange thing to do to reject help, doesn't it? But I think we can often do that. There may have been a lot of reasons why she rejected help. Maybe she didn't want to bring Ruth and Orpah into her mess. Maybe she was too prideful to receive help at such a low point in her life, and she was probably just very overwhelmed. But we thank God for Ruth, don't we? Because she ignored that rejection, and she was just determined to love her in a time when Naomi really needed that support. And what I do love about Naomi, though, she does seem to have a sense of humor. In verse 12 and 13, she talks about getting pregnant again and possibly giving them sons. She's honest, she's real. She tells them, the hand of God has gone against me. She openly weeps with them. And these three women in this moment, they are quite vulnerable. They're raw together, aren't they? And it reminds me of that verse, one of my favorites, and I probably quote it all the time, but I'm going to say it again, but in Romans 12, uh, 15, where it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It really does remind me of that. And there's an honesty here and a realness about the way these women relate to each other in a tough season. And it's a blessing, isn't it, when we have church family that we can, we can laugh with, we can cry with. And over the years, there's definitely been times when, you know, those ugly tears where it's just snot, tears, tissues. I've had those moments, but it's been amazing to have friends that, you know, they're not judging you and they're there to support you. And that's the kindness of Christ at work through us and in us and him bringing about his plans in the way we love and serve each other. So when life gets tough, are we honest with our friends? Do we act in fear or in faith? Naomi seems to lose something of her hope. She isn't hopeful that her daughters-in-law would have a future in Judah. When she returns to Judah, she tells her community to call her Mara. She literally names herself bitter, bitterness. She wants to identify with her emotion. She wants to be known and identified by her grief and her circumstances instead of who God called her to be. And Naomi actually means uh, sweet or pleasant. So she's rejecting this. She's rejecting this call in her life. She's rejecting this heritage. And you see, when we base our identity on possessions, whether that's having a husband, children, work, things, money, If that changes, where does it leave us? It can leave us feeling empty if if it goes, if we base our identity in those things. And Naomi felt empty because that's where she was basing her identity. And this is in contrast to Ruth, who despite being a Moabite, which meant she would have been looked down upon by the Israelites, Ruth has also lost a husband. But despite this, Ruth's identity is not being wrapped up in her loss or grief of her circumstance. And she adopts a posture where she's had a revelation of who she is. She says, your people will be my people, your God, my God. There's a resoluteness to her words and her physicality. Verse 14 says she clung to Naomi. Naomi couldn't argue with her. 
And she couldn't move by the sounds of it either, literally clinging to Naomi. It would have been easy for Ruth to go back to her familiarity, her people, her family, her customs, her culture. But there's something about the God of Naomi that has captivated Ruth. So much so that an otherwise gentle, humble, and obedient Ruth, as we'll see in the later weeks when we go through the other chapters. I mean, here it just shows a strength. And she demonstrates that she's not a walkover when acting on her conviction. And let's be real here. Ruth was facing an unknown, uncertain, risky future as a widow. And especially as being a Moabite, you know, going into the Israelites' um, land, it wouldn't have been easy. She would have been looked down upon. She wasn't chosen. Her people worshipped foreign gods. And she would have been aware that this, this was going to be a problem, but she still chose to stay with Naomi. She would be leaving all that was familiar, her family, her friends, where she grew up, all to follow Naomi, who at this time was wrapped up in her grief and hopelessness. So I think we just need to take a moment to acknowledge just how difficult that would have been, the character of Ruth in this circumstance, how much strength and courage that would have taken. Her loyalty to Naomi is amazing. Naomi is not just a mother-in-law, but she's truly become an adopted mother. And this bond is just beautiful and it's stunning. And God does this amongst us as his people and his church. I mean, perhaps not in the fierce way that Ruth is clinging to Naomi. It does sound a little bit intense, doesn't it? <laughs> so I'm not sure it's appropriate that all friendships are like this all the time. But I think in that moment, it needed to be like that because that's what Naomi needed. And I'm sure over time, that level of support and dynamic may have changed as appropriate. And I have to say, I've met some Ruths amongst us. Just the capacity to serve, to love, to forgive, grace, it's amazing. And I think the principle we can draw from this uh, relationship and how Ruth has supported Naomi is Christ supports us like this, doesn't he? And we, from that place of Christ supporting us, we can support each other like family. So Ruth has a conviction in God and her new identity. Ruth's statement in verse 16, your God will be my God. This is a statement of faith. Ruth is convicted about Naomi's God. She says, your people, my people. She is convicted about her new identity. So looking at Ruth from the outside again, you would see a Moabite, you would see a widow, you would see someone vulnerable, someone unexpected, but she was not hopeless. She was full of faith. And she had a conviction that seems to banish fear, fear of man, fear of the risks that she was going to take, because she knows she's been grafted into a new family, and she's secure about that. And it doesn't say in the scripture here, but I do wonder whether she just had some time before God, praying, getting that revelation. So in this moment, chapter one, we see Ruth has suffered trauma. She's lost her love, her husband. She's got no children from her marriage. 
so she's actually unable to inherit the family land because she has no heir. She is seemingly just as empty as Naomi, except she's full. She's full of expectation. She's full of conviction about Naomi's God. She's not defining herself by the way others perceive her. She's not defining herself by her situation. And just as Proverbs 31, uh, 25 says, that virtuous woman, how she looks to the future with hope, I really feel that Ruth has been, she's looking to the future with hope and strength despite her circumstances. So in terms of who Ruth is under pressure, she's a virtuous woman, isn't she? She demonstrates loyalty, faith, and hope. So let's have a look at the uh, final question. Where do we go when life gets tough? I think the best thing about Naomi in this passage is that she knows she must return to Bethlehem, the promised land, to be back in covenant with God, to be back with her people. In verse 6, she hears that God has provided uh, for the Israelites, the ones who have stayed there. She knows she needs to get back to the promised land, return to her first love, where she's known. And when she gets back in verse 19, it says the whole town was stirred. So obviously recognized her. She's back amongst people she knows. They recognized her straight away. I wonder how, much, how she must have felt, to be honest. She left full, but has returned empty and bitter. Was she embarrassed? Returning a widow? Vulnerable to poverty and exploitation? Was she the source of town gossip? Maybe there was a bit of shame there as well. But she knew she had to go back. She knew where she needed to be. So in the midst of challenge and difficulty, we should always return to God. That's where we should, that's where we should be. That's where we need to be. And Ruth, in her difficulty, what does she do? She clings to Naomi. So she wants to be with family in her darkest moment. She's resolute that God's, uh, Naomi's God will be her God. And I think that um, God does call us to specific people in certain seasons. I know we, Rich and I, we've had people that have said, look, we, we just feel a bit of a calling to support you guys as a family. And um, it's just we've been blessed by intentional friendship like that and support. And likewise, Rich and I, in a totally non-weird way, but have felt called to support specific people um, for a season. And uh, it's really beautiful the way God just puts somebody on your heart. So again, I'd encourage us as a church just to explore that. And I know it ha- it's happening all across the church, just different people to supporting others. And I think God can really use us in that way. And this is God's hand at work through us, isn't it? That we would be known for our love It's one of the prophetic words for us as a church is that we would be known for our love and the way we serve each other would just point people to Jesus. So both Ruth and Naomi, in their tough season, in their tough time, in this horrible moment really, they've turned to God and they've turned to their community. And as a church, we in turn, we're called to first and foremost turn to God in our time of need and turn to each other for support. Look to each other for support. So have a think about where do you go when life gets tough? Where do you go when life gets tough? It's tempting sometimes, isn't it, to just find a little hole and try and deal with things on your own. 
do we turn to God in those difficult moments? So the book of Ruth, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Because it's really pointing us to the way Jesus calls us and calls us back to his family, even in the most desperate times, even when we've been far away, even when we've settled somewhere that we shouldn't have, settled for something less than what he's promised. He still has a call on our life. And Ruth, as a Moabite, she was unlikely but God chose her to enter the promised land. Um, and I think we really see God's heart of inclusion. Everyone is invited. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. God calls you. You're invited. You are included. And what's wonderful about Ruth, you know, as an outsider from Moab, she goes on this unknown journey to Bethlehem with newborn faith and her story ends as the great great grandmother of King David what lavish grace that God has for us and what wonderful plans can be worked out through us when we obey we are called to be a people defined by God's view of us not defined by our physical possessions or our circumstances and not defined by how other people see us, but God is calling us into a new identity, a new inheritance, a new heritage in him. So maybe you're like Ruth. Maybe you are going through a tough time, but you're responding in faith. You're strong in your identity in Christ. So I just encourage you just to keep pursuing Christ, keep seeking his will. And he will answer. His plans will be made known. Um, and continue to receive support from your church family. Maybe on reflection, you're a bit like Naomi. And I think we all have times that we can be like this as well. But in times of plenty, you're feeling good. You're feeling secure. You're feeling safe. However, in times of physical lap, lack, Perhaps you become bitter and fearful and disappointed and feel empty. And God is calling us to, to let him fill us in all circumstances. Um, and I met someone last week who um, was saying when Jesus resurrected from the dead, it was only the tomb that was meant to be left empty. God did not intend for us to be empty. Um, his Holy Spirit is here to fill us and reassure us of our God-giving identity. So what I love about chapter one is that in contrast to the start, Bethlehem was suffering from famine. And here we see at the end, Naomi's returning at the point of harvest. And despite everything going on, God is showing that he's providing a way out. We're left with hope that there's going to be physical nourishment and spiritual nourishment. And despite Naomi on several occasions feeling just completely abandoned by God, God is showing her that he will provide. So today I just think, yeah, as a church, God is just calling us afresh to uh, be secure in who he's made us to be, who he's called us to be, and look to the future with hope. Uh, so I'll pray and then I'll hand back to Malcolm and perhaps the band can come up as well. So God, as we uh, reflect on this chapter today, I'd, and the life of Ruth over the next few weeks. 
I ask that you inspire us to live a life worthy of the high calling. Just fill us afresh today, God, with your Holy Spirit. I pray that we'll know who we are in Christ, Lord, that our security will come from you, Jesus, and not from what we have, Lord. But we will just be plugged into your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.